Chapter 4 of Origin and Development of Form and Ornament in Ceramic Art by William Henry Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 Modification of Ornament There are comparatively few elementary ideas prominently and generally employed in primitive decorative art. New ideas are acquired, as already shown, all along the pathway of progress. None of these ideas retain a uniform expression, however, as they are subject to modification by environment, just as are the forms of living organisms. A brief classification of the causes of modification is given in the following synopsis. Modification of ornament through material, through form, through methods of realization. Through material. It is evident at a glance that material must have a strong influence upon the forms assumed by the various decorative motives, however derived. Thus, stone, clay, wood, bone, and copper, although they readily borrow from nature and from each other, necessarily show different decorative results. Stone is massive and takes form slowly and by peculiar processes. Clay is more versatile and decoration may be scratched, incised, painted, or modelled in relief with equal facility, while wood and metal engender details having characters peculiar to themselves, producing different results from the same motives or elements. Much of the diversity displayed by the art products of different countries and climates is due to this cause. Peoples dwelling in Arctic climates are limited, by their materials, to particular modes of expression. Bone and ivory, as shaped for use in the arts of subsistence, afford facilities for the employment of a very restricted class of linear decoration, such chiefly as could be scratched with a hard point upon a small, irregular, often cylindrical, implements. Skins and other animal tissues are not favourable to the development of ornament, and the textile arts, the greatest agents of convention, do not readily find suitable materials in which to work. Decorative art carried to a high stage under Arctic environment would be more likely to achieve unconventional and realistic forms than if developed in more highly favoured countries. The accurate geometric and linear patterns would hardly arise. Through form. Forms of decorated objects exercise a strong influence upon the decorative designs employed. It would be more difficult to tattoo a human face or body with straight lines or rectilineal patterns than with curved ones. An ornament applied originally to a vessel of a given form would accommodate itself to that form pretty much as costume becomes adjusted to the individual. When it came to be required for another form of vessel, very decided changes might be necessary. With the ancient Pueblo peoples, rectilinear forms of meander patterns were very much in favour, and many earthen vessels are found in which bands of beautiful angular geometric figures occupy the peripheral zone, figure 480a, but when the artist takes up a mug having a row of hemispherical nodes about the body, b, he finds it very difficult to apply his favourite forms, and is almost compelled to run spiral curves about the nodes, in order to secure a neat adjustment. Through methods of realisation, it will readily be seen that the forms assumed by a motive depend greatly upon the character of the mechanical devices employed. 
In the potter's art, devices for holding and turning the vessel under manipulation produce peculiar results. In applying a given idea to clay, much depends upon the method of executing it. It will take widely differing forms when executed by incising, by modelling, by painting, and by stamping. Intimately associated with methods of execution are peculiarities of construction, the two agencies working together in the processes of modification and development of ornament. I have previously shown how our favourite ornament, the scroll, in its disconnected form may have originated in the copying of natural forms or through the manipulation of coils of clay. I present here an example of its possible origin through the modification of forms derived from constructional features of basketry. An ornament known as the guilloche is found in many countries. The combination of lines resembles that of twisted or plaited fillets of wood, cane or rushes, as may be seen at a glance, figure 481a. An incised ornament of this character, possibly derived from basketry by copying the twisted fillets or their impressions in the clay, is very common on the pottery of the mounds of the Mississippi Valley, and its variants form a most interesting study. In applying this to a vessel, the careless artist does not properly connect the ends of the lines which pass beneath the intersecting fillets, and the parts become disconnected. B. In many cases, the ends are turned in abruptly, as seen in C, and only a slight further change is necessary to lead to the result. D. The running scroll with well-developed links. All of these steps may be observed in a single group of vessels. It may be thought by some that the process of development indicated above are insufficient and unsatisfactory. There are those who, seeing these forms already endowed with symbolism, begin at what I conceive to be the wrong end of the process. They derive the form of symbol directly from the thing symbolized. Thus the current scroll is, with many races, found to be a symbol of water, and its origin is attributed to a literal rendition of the sweep and curl of the waves. It is more probable that the scroll became the symbol of the sea long after its development through agencies similar to those described above, and that the association resulted from the observation of incidental resemblances. This same figure, in use by the Indians of the interior of the continent, is regarded as symbolic of the whirlwind, and it is probable that any symbol-using people will find in the features and phenomena of their environment, whatever it may be, sufficient resemblance to any of their decorative devices to lead to a symbolic association. One secret of modification is found in the use of a radical in more than one art, owing to differences in constructional characters. For example, the tendency of nearly all woven fabrics is to encourage, even to compel, the use of straight lines in the decorative designs applied. Thus, the attempt to employ curved lines would lead to stepped or broken lines. The curvilinear scroll coming from some other art would be forced by the constructional character of the fabric into square forms, and the rectilinear meander or fret would result, as shown in figure 482a, being the plain form, painted, engraved, or in relief, and b, the same idea developed in a woven fabric. Stone or brickwork would lead to like results, figure 483, but the modification could as readily move in the other direction. 
if an ornament originating in the constructional character of a woven fabric or remodelled by it and hence rectilinear should be desired for a smooth structureless or featureless surface the difficulties of drawing the angular forms would lead to the delineation of curved forms and we would have exactly the reverse of the order shown in figures 482 and 483. The two forms given in figure 484 actually occur in one and the same design painted upon an ancient Pueblo vase. The curved form is apparently the result of careless or hurried work, the original angular form having come from a textile source. Many excellent examples illustrative of this tendency to modification are found in Pueblo art. Much of the ornament applied to pottery is derived from the sister art, basketry. In the latter art, the forms of decorative figures are geometric and symmetrical to the highest degree, as I have frequently pointed out. The rays of a radiating ornament worked with the texture of a shallow basket spring from the centre and take uniform directions towards the margin, as shown in figure 485, but when a similar idea derived from basketry, as it could have no other origin, is executed in colour upon an earthen vessel, we observe a tendency to depart from symmetry, as well as from consistency. I call attention here to the arrangement of the parts merely, not to the motives employed, as I happen to have no examples of identical figures from the two arts. It will be seen by reference to the design given in figure 486, taken from the upper surface of an ancient vase, that although the spirit of the decoration is wonderfully well preserved, the idea of the origin of all the rays in the centre of the vessel is not kept in view, and that by carelessness in the drawing, two of the rays are crowded out and terminate against the side of a neighbouring ray. In copying and recopying by freehand methods, Many curious modifications take place in these designs, as, for example, the unconformity which occurs in one place in the given example may occur at a number of places, and there will be a series of independent sections, a small number only of the bands of devices remaining true rays. A characteristic painted design from the interior of an ancient bowl is shown in figure 487, in which merely a suggestion of the radiation is preserved although the figure is still decorative and tasteful. This process of modification goes on without end, and as the true geometric textile forms recede from view, innovation robs the design of all traces of its original character, producing much that is incongruous and unsatisfactory. The growth of decorative devices from the elementary to the highly constituted and elegant is owing to a tendency of the human mind to elaborate, because it is pleasant to do so, or because pleasure is taken in the result, and there is still a directing and shaping agency to be accounted for. I have already shown that such figures as the scroll and the guilloche are not necessarily developed by processes of selection and combination of simple elements, as many have thought, since they may have come into art at a very early stage, almost full-fledged and there is nothing in these facts to throw light upon the processes by which ornament followed particular lines of development throughout endless elaboration. In treating of this point, Professor C. F. Hart maintained that the development of ornamental designs took particular and uniform directions owing to the structure of the eye, certain forms being chosen and perpetuated, 
because of the pleasure afforded by movements of the eye in following them. In connection with this hypothesis, for it is nothing more, Mr. Hart advanced the additional idea that in unison with the general course of nature, decorative forms began with simple elements and developed by systematic methods to complex forms. Take, for example, the series of designs shown in figure 488. The meander A, made up of simple parts, would, according to Mr. Hart, by further elaboration under the supervision of the muscles of the eye, develop into B, this, in time, into C, and so on until the elegant anthemium was achieved. The series shown in figure 489 would develop in a similar way, or otherwise would be produced by modifications in freehand copying of the rectilineal series. The processes here suggested, although to all appearances reasonable enough, should not be passed over without careful scrutiny. Taking the first series, we observe that the ornaments are projected in straight, continuous lines or zones, which are filled in with more or less complex parts, rectilinear and geometrically accurate. Still higher forms are marvellously intricate and graceful, yet not less geometric and symmetrical. Let us turn to the primitive artisan and observe him at work with rude brush and stylus upon the rounded and irregular forms of his utensils and weapons, or upon skins, bark and rock surfaces. It is probable that with his free hand, directed by the eye alone, he will be able to achieve these rhythmic geometric forms. It seems to me that the whole tendency is in the opposite direction. I venture to surmise that if there had been no other resources than those named above, the typical rectilineal fret would never have been known, at least to the primitive world. For, notwithstanding the contrary statement by Professor Hart, the fret is in its more highly developed forms extremely difficult to follow with the eye and to delineate with the hand. Until geometric in their construction arose to create and to combine mechanically the necessary elements and motives and lead the way by a long series of object lessons to ideas of geometric combination, our typical border ornament would not be possible. Such arts are the textile arts and architecture. These brought into existence forms and ideas not met with in nature and not primarily thought of by man and combined them in defiance of human conceptions of grace. Geometric ornament is the offspring of technique. End of chapter 4 End of Origin and Development of Form and Ornament in Ceramic Art by William Henry Holmes